Welcome to the Dare to Care podcast, brought to you by HR Culture. And now here's your host, Susan Judd. Welcome everybody. I'm Susan Judd and this is the Dare to Care podcast. If this isn't your first episode listening, you may already know that this season I'm interviewing women in leadership and gaining their perspectives on their experiences in the workplace and what they believe are the key skills for success that will assist our Generation Zs and in particular our young women to transition and bring value to our workplaces. As I've said before, for many years I've worked with employers and leaders in business to enhance and amplify their leadership skills to build more effective and productive workplaces through improved communication, human connection and courage. So over that period of time, it has really become apparent to me that they that we really need to invest in helping our youth, our current generation Zs, to better transition from school to work by developing their work readiness skills to really provide them with the opportunity to reach their potential. And, and including an area I'm really passionate about, emotional intelligence. Why? Because EI or emotional intelligence is all about how we effectively and intelligently interpret our triggers and our negative emotions, things like stress, frustration, disappointment and so on. We make decisions, how we behave and ultimately how we perform. So this is the ultimate purpose of the Data Care podcast to provide information and insights, advice and perspective on how we can all work together just that little bit more effectively taking into account all of the different perspectives uh, to get better outcomes and build a future that uh, is more productive, happy, and uh, where we have more robust and connected human relationships. So today, as always, I will be asking my guests the same five questions, drawing out the best of what our ladies in leadership have to offer us. We will be asking our guests in each of our episodes this season about the challenges they've experienced in the workplace, things like their most memorable moment in the workplace, the sorts of things they've learned about employer expectations and um, what they see is the critical skills that are needed for our young people to build for the future and what's their best piece of advice for other young women or young workers entering the workplace. And I'm really excited today because... Um, We're branching out from our um, Aussie-based leaders and we're bringing an international flavour today. So we're going global um, with our global perspectives from um, my guest today who is joining us all the way from Hong Kong, the delightful Sally Leonard, Founder and Managing Director of Black Dog Consultants. Black Dog Consultants provide leadership and emotional intelligence development and coaching across the Asia-Pacific with representatives not only in Hong Kong, where Sally is located, but also in Malaysia, China, the Philippines, Singapore, Indonesia, the United Kingdom, and in multiple cities across Australia. So what do Black Dog do? They undertake leadership development across all of these countries through facilitation, training, and coaching services. I met Sally a few years ago in Singapore, where we were both attending a Genos International Conference which was all about emotional intelligence, as we're both working with the amazing Genos International, developing emotional intelligence skills or enhancing emotional intelligence skills of leaders and teams um, across our relative, our relevant footprints, me in Australia and clearly Sally with Black Dog, all across the Asia-Pacific and a bit further too. So today's episode will take an interesting global perspective, about, as I've said, Given Sally deals with so many organisations in various countries, I'm excited to hear about her answers 
to our five questions about young people entering the workplace. So without further ado, I would like to extend a really warm welcome to Sally Leonard for joining us on today's episode. Thanks, Susan. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Excellent. So Sally, we're here today to ask you our five questions about your views and perspectives of leadership, your experience of the workplace and any advice you might have for our Generation Zs or our what we call our post-millennials. So before we get into asking you those five questions, can I please start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Yeah, thank you, Susan. So um, as you probably know, I'm the Solution Alchemist and the CEO at Black Dog Consultants and also our sister company, Resilio, which is newly launched um, and actually looks at things to do with the wellness space, leadership, um, things like emotional intelligence, stress management, et cetera, et cetera. So we're really looking at leadership very holistically now across the board from all the more traditional aspects of behavior and neuroscience of leadership, all the way through to those things that I think are becoming even more important in the workplace, bringing much more of a human-centered factor back in there. So uh, that's a little bit about what we do. And uh, as far as who I am, I'm a Brit originally and uh, come from the north of England. And I've been living in Asia now for around about 12 years, mainly in Hong Kong, and then just recently moved over to very balmy Singapore. So uh, fairly familiar with the region, Susan. Okay, fabulous. I'm really interested in your um, new brand, your new little company, uh, new company, Resilio. Given the current point at where the world and the globe is at with tracking through COVID-19, has that... Has that impacted that launch or is that why you did it? Like, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. No, um, well, certainly it's not why we did it. We were already planning this for probably a couple of years now. Um, and I guess it was born out of my own experiences of, um, I guess, trying to fit in too much to life and finding my own wellness challenges along the way. And also just a recognition that um, as the world speeds up in pace, we've got to remember sometimes to take care of our mental health, of our wellness, and really make sure that we're getting good balance in our lives. One of the things I try and be in my own organization is a fairly strong advocate of what I call walking the talk when it comes to you know boundaries and ensuring that you do take good time off and that you, you are able to rest and recharge and relax. And that certainly, uh, for everybody in our organisation, family always comes first. And I'm very lucky to have a very loving, uh, very lovely family here with me in, uh, in Singapore. So make sure I have some very good quality time with them. Excellent. Uh, thank you. Thanks so much for telling us a little bit more about you and your organisation. Let's hook into your first question, which is okay. um, after your views and perspectives on what are, some, what are some of the challenges you've experienced in the workplace? Yeah, thank you, Susan. Do you know, it's, it's really interesting because when I was trying to think of some um, interesting tidbits and tales to share on this one, I think the, the, the biggest word I could come up with in terms of challenges is personality. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, yes, tell me more. I think along the way, um, the first thing I guess I would say is that I'm very aware that I have my own fairly unique brand and style. And most people that would know me would say I'm a fairly big personality. Now, when I was starting out in my career, 
I would say that um, that big personality probably served me really well in terms of the confidence that I would exude, even in a situation where I didn't know very much. But also, I guess there were probably times that with hindsight and with a, the benefit now of a little bit of age and experience, I probably would have listened more and spoken less and, and probably really thought about the people that I was dealing with and how I would flex my style a little bit. So there's a couple of sort of fairly memorable incidents for me. One is, you know, a whole plethora of leaders that I've worked for in the past, some of whom I found inspirational, motivational, and just fabulous to be with. Some of whom, to be perfectly honest, have been bullies and have been utterly horrific. So, and I think for me, one of the biggest things I've learned is that I probably contributed to both, um, both the successes and the failures that I had when I was being managed by others, basically down to my big personality. Mm-hmm. And I think the moment it really struck home for me, Susan, which will probably make you laugh, is I remember being on a conference with a group of colleagues when I was back working in the pharma industry. And uh, we were in a bar one evening. And we were kind of going round and people were sharing what were they most afraid of. And um, I remember getting up at one point, visiting the washroom and coming back into the conversation just as a very dear friend of mine who thought I wasn't there in the room at the question, what are you most afraid of, said Sally Leonard. And I thought, what? How could you possibly be afraid of me? But I suppose what it taught me in that moment is... All the things that, of course, again, you and I, we, we're kind of, we work with emotional intelligence, we work with products like DISC and what have you, and we really know now that our personalities can be used for amazing effect, and yes, confidence and inspiration and motivation, but also can be quite scary to other people. So learning really, I think, how to flex your style and thinking about how you use your behavior in a very positive way through some of the tools like emotional intelligence and um, behavioral tools, etc., are things that I've learned now that I'm um, much closer, well, very much established in my middle age rather than my youth, I would say. Excellent. Okay, because, you know, uh, yes, we are, you know, I certainly agree with you. We, we both work in that space and that whole understanding of, the needs of others, the, 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 the flexing your style and understanding your own personality and then reflecting on, I might be interacting with somebody who sees, perceives me entirely differently to how I perceive myself is so Absolutely. powerful, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that's helped teach me is, you know, I have my own company now. I have a, a, an amazing team that work with me. And I think it's taught me very much never to look just for people like me mm-hmm. um, when I'm hiring. What I try and do is I really try and find people who aren't like me because although sometimes, you know, when, the, when there's tension, when there's a deadline, if you do things in different ways, you can look at those people and, and find frustration or see things as weaknesses. Actually, what you have around you are people that are covering your blind spots. Yeah, so you absolutely. get on with the things that are really good, you're really good at, and you allow those folks to get on with the things that they're really good at. And I'm really blessed in my team that we have a real mixture of different styles. Yeah, that's a really important tip for any employer, actually, is, is really looking at your own style and building a team around you that brings different styles to the table because they've got your back. They'll have your back in areas that aren't your strengths. 
Absolutely. I mean, if I think about my own team, my sort of second in command of our organization is totally opposite on the disc quadrant to me. So whereas I bring sort of, you know, um, a fairly natural high energy passion and lots of chat and ideas and big picture, she keeps my feet very firmly on the ground. She asks me very difficult questions. She asks me to prove things. She looks at me in a way as if, and, and I know I have to keep kind of, you know, proving myself until she'll go, hmm, okay. And I, then I know that we're all going to be all right. Because if she says yes, I think, I think we're all good. <laughs> okay, so fundamental challenges that you experienced and you've learned from is this idea of personality. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so let's move on to your second question. Um, and this is about sharing your most memorable moment from the workplace. Well, listen, big personalities can have, I think, a very, um, a very huge benefit. And I think one of the things that we very often are is we're quite brave and we're quite flexible. Um, and never more was it put to the test than when I arrived one evening at 2 a.m. in the morning into Bangladesh's Dakar airport. And I was traveling there to go and deliver some training for a, a very lovely client of mine. Um, and I'd been a couple of times before, so I knew what to expect. I knew that there was a, a real hustle and bustle in that airport. I knew that, you know, you were driving around massive potholes. There were monumental rain showers that would happen from time to time. Taxis were a little bit rickety. You kind of sometimes feared for your life with what was going on on the road. But I was absolutely gobsmacked to be met at airport security by a G4S security team who basically bundled me into the back of an armoured van to take me to my hotel. And that's because at that particular moment, whilst we were in the air, some sort of political coup had taken place. And so um, the country was actually uh, in a sort of high, a state of high alert, shall we say. So the next morning, having arrived at my hotel at about four o'clock in the morning, still fairly shell-shocked by the experience of being um, escorted with an armed guard to my hotel. Uh, the next morning when I got up and I was taken into my venue, I was picked up by blacked out ambulance. Yeah. And the blacked out ambulance was because um, some Westerners, especially people who looked like me, because uh, if, you, if you've seen the picture of me, I've got blonde hair, so I look very Western. Um, they were apparently attacking Westerners. So they thought the safest way to get me to my training venue would be to put me in a blacked out ambulance. Wow. So that was quite scary as well. We picked up one or two of the other delegates on the way and uh, we all traveled into the training venue by ambulance. But my, my strange day didn't end there, Susan, because the, uh, the lovely uh, clients who met me at the door said, Sally, so pleased to see you and in one piece. Ha <laughs> ha. And then said, um, but let me, let me just share with you a, a slight challenge that I'm having today, Sally. And I said, tell me nothing you can say is going to surprise me, my friends. And he said, well, actually, he said, we, we noted when you were here last time, just, you know, how flexible and accommodating and kind you were. And, you know, you, you didn't worry when there weren't chairs and we had beanbags to sit on the floor. And you didn't worry when we didn't have enough flip charts. You just made do with um, A3 paper stuck together, which is absolutely the way I'd gone. He said, yeah. so I'm really hoping you can help me out. He said, let me show you the training space that we've allocated to you today. So he leads me over to a lift. We get in the lift. We chug up slowly to the fifth floor and out onto an open top 
uh, roof terrace we, we proceed to. And uh, sat by the swimming pool are probably 14 to 15 delegates, all sat on sun lounges with a couple of sun umbrellas um, protecting them from the probably 38 degrees of sunshine that we were experiencing. And my lovely client said, I'm so sorry, there's been a mix-up in the hotel with the training room. Uh, your colleague were putting into the training room, but because, because we know how flexible you are, Sally, and just what a good sort you are, this is your training room for the day. So, uh, so my training space that day, trying to teach an influence course, um, was in 38 degrees of sun. Um, probably about two hours into the session, a monumental rainstorm hit us. And for the rest of the day, we had pile driving going on as well. So um, that was probably the most memorable moment so far in my career. Wow. Oh, I mean, you know, did they give you a cocktail? Sorry? Did they give you a cocktail? <laughs> you were no, no. pool? Yeah, and, and you know what? We couldn't even use the pool either because, of course, with modesty in Bangladesh, um, you wouldn't absolutely consider taking your uh, down to your swimmers in, uh, oh. with a, a group of uh, gentlemen like that. So, um, so yeah, but do you know what? I have to say the resilience of those gentlemen that, that I worked with that day was sensational. Can you imagine if that had happened in either the UK or Australia? People would have been up in arms, complaining left, right and centre. But these guys were just amazing. They literally sat with their notepads that the hotel had given them and a pencil and we had no flip charts, we had no projector. I just had to kind of remember the course almost and make it up again in my head. Um, no handouts, nothing. They sat on the edges of sun lounges and they were the most brilliant delegates I've ever had. I'm, so, um, I'm visualising it as a facilitator myself. I'm yeah. visualising it, right? I know. I must admit, I've had some unusual facilitation um, you know, places that I've facilitated, but typically not on a sun, on a seated, and I'm imagining them sitting on the edge of the sun lounge, like, little, yeah. oh. Yeah, and yeah. Um, like I say, they were just, they were all brilliant. They were just so good, and, um, yeah. It goes to show you can learn anywhere, though, can't you? Quite right. Quite right. Yeah, quite right, absolutely. And And their attitude was amazing. They just wanted to learn they didn't get access to much training down there. And, um, and you know, the, the spirit that they entered into it was just sensational. And they made my experience something that I will remember forever with huge affection yeah. rather than thinking, you know, you, you could think that that would be one of the worst days of your life, but it was just amazing. No, I'm just thinking about the stress at the airport. That was probably, you know, kind of the stress at the airport and then getting bundled into the security car and then going to the venue in a blacked-out ambulance. I mean, you can't imagine that happening no. in, Australia, in Australia. You can't. It's not a thing, right? No. And you passing on the street, you know, um, armoured cars full of soldiers with guns and, um, and you know, that, and that's the way that some people operate in the world over. We're very, very lucky in what we call our sort of more developed world that we live in relative safety, um, we are incredibly cosseted with the, the, the things that we have around us. Yeah. Um, and yet sometimes don't we take all that for granted? So it's quite grounding for me to remember those things on tough days. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so just, to, you know, kind of uh, some of the things that I've picked out, some of the kind of learnings and qualities that were 
that um, you highlighted and I'm just kind of summarising here is that whole willingness to learn is really important, that ability to be adapt to new circumstances and being flexible and still being able to deliver what you went to deliver um, is, and apart from, you know, the resilience that we were talking about, really important skills Absolutely. out of those memorable moments and learnings out of those memorable moments. Absolutely, yes, yes. Awesome. Okay, so um, question three. Sally, what have you learned about employer expectations at work? Like what have you learned? You know, you deal with lots of, I mean, you're an employee yourself. Um, You've you've probably been an employee at some stage, but you're also working with lots of organisations around Asia-Pacific, right? So you would have um, a kind of unique perspective on some of the expectations of employers, even in the footprint, in your own footprint. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. So, um, Susan, I've been really lucky throughout my career. I've worked from small boutique advertising agencies with 10 staff all the way up to multinationals with tens of thousands of people. Um, and I've just picked out, I've tried to pick out three things for this. I, I believe in the power of three. So okay. three things that I think I've really learned on my journey um, in the sort of more corporate or employed world, I should say. The first thing I would say is that one thing I very quickly learned is that everywhere, no matter how small or large, has politics. And actually, what I think now when I look back on those experiences is that politics are basically the clash of human behavior, ego, vulnerabilities and pressure. And each environment will manifest that in different ways. So I think one of the things I've really learned over the years is to um, really think about the emotional culture that that particular organization has and that it tolerates and that it allows. And really think it's not really for me about learning to play politics. It's learning to recognize the politics and making a very conscious choice about whether you want to play that game or whether you want to find something else that's more suitable for you. And there's certainly been environments where I've been in. um, So when I worked at GlaxoSmithKline, for example, I worked in a very small boutique team. um, And it was an amazing team set within a very large organization. So, of course, there's the emotional culture going on of the organization, the big organization around it. And then, of course, every team will have its own unique culture as well. So you've got to be somewhere that's really good for you. Yeah. And if it's not working for you, um, then, you know, there is always other opportunities. Yeah. So that's the first thing I've learned. Excellent. Thank you. I think the second thing is around just how important your boss is. Your boss is the person who you aspire to. It's the person that leads you. It's the person that's responsible for helping create an environment for you where you can thrive and where you can be at your best. And, you know, Steve Jobs very famously said, don't settle. Yeah. And he said, find the thing you love. And, And I think this is so important. I think, you know, if we were having this conversation 20 years ago, Susan, it probably wouldn't be appropriate to jump jobs a lot. I think for our millennial colleagues going forward, it's just going to be the norm. So I would say to to all the folks listening, if you don't have a great boss, go and find one. 
go and find somebody that you want to work for, who inspires you, who motivates you. I remember when I first went into GSK, I had uh, my first time around. So it was my first job out of uni. Had an amazing manager. She took a real chance on me when she employed me. I think I'd applied for about 150 graduate jobs. I think I'd had about three letters of even acknowledgement, never mind interviews. Um, And I was pretty much, you know, at rock bottom trying to think, what am I going to do? And I applied for a random job in a newspaper when jobs were advertised in newspapers when we didn't look online. It shows how old I am, you see. And and I remember when she interviewed me, I'd applied for this job. So just to give you a potted history. So when I applied, I was 21 years old. Um, I had a degree in maths and computers and I had zero job experience. Um, she'd put the ad in the paper. She wanted um, six to 10 years medical sales experience, um, had to have a life sciences degree and preferably 25 and above. So I didn't meet any of the criteria that were down there. Yeah. But uh, clearly that day I'd written a good letter, I think. So um, she interviewed me and she had a real twinkle in her eye and she said, you know what, I'm going to hire you because you're a wild card. Oh, wild card, I love that. And and the minute she said that was the minute that she became almost like my, my mentor, somebody I really, really looked up to. And I had an amazing first experience working for her. Um, and again, I've been really lucky along the way. I've worked for some really amazing, strong women. Um, and I've worked for some people who are total bitches and who I'm so glad that are not part of my life anymore because they are real verging on bullies. Um, I've worked for some amazing men. Um, one of which I remember a boss that I really liked. Um, I'd only been with, uh, with her for about six months and we were told she was moving on and I was devastated. And, um, and they said, well, don't worry, you'll meet your new boss in a couple of days. He's coming out on a field visit with you. And uh, he turned up and I think at the time I was probably around about 35 and he turned up, he was 26. Yeah. And I took one look at him and looked him up and down. I was thinking, oh, good Lord, seriously. <laughs> and I have to say, he was one of the best bosses ever yeah. because he was so empowering. He was so motivating. And the first thing he wanted to do was listen. Yeah. He wasn't there to tell me what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to tell him how it was and, and you know, what was making me successful and how he needed to support me. And I thought, gosh, that's a really great lesson there. Um, rather than just rocking up and using a hierarchy, just somebody that really wanted to support. So your boss is critical. That's number two. The third thing, I think, is set your boundaries. Mm. Whatever age you are, we have sleep that we need in our lives. We need healthy food. We need exercise. And absolutely do we need our family and our friends. So all of those things, if you work out in your 24 hours in a day, you're contracted for a chunk of work. You need seven to nine hours sleep as an adult per night. Um, you've got to get some exercise in there. You've got to get time for nutritiously feeding yourself and preparing that food. So then the other time is super precious. So if you want to invest another three hours on top of what you're contracted to do at work, then knock yourself out. But don't feel you have to. Yeah. And set your boundaries and be really clear that you need work-life balance right from the beginning. Just because you're young doesn't mean that you need to work yourself into the ground. Yeah. Really good point because I think um, you will have, it kind of goes back to the the politics and the boss as well. These three, that links back to those two for me because I think about 
well, if you haven't got a boss that you love or that inspires you or leads you in the way you want to be led, then you can, and if the politi- there's a lot of politics which insert kind of top kind of culture that you don't want to be a part of, you know, mm-hmm. then you're going to work, you might stay longer hours because there's this expectation and sometimes it's unsaid. Yeah, absolutely. Expectation that if you leave and it's still hanging around, even though it's 2020, you know, that, that whole expectation of, you know, you've got to work 50 hours or 60 hours otherwise and you've got to be in the office or yeah. be wherever the workplace is um, or you're not pulling your weight and that's yeah. just not true. You, yeah. you know, now we're far more focused. We've got to be focused on the individual and the holistic mm-hmm. view of what people need to be productive in the workplace. So I totally agree with you, Susan, totally they're, agree. They're really three really important things. Um, so we've got the politics just, and it's hard for young people, you know, if we're thinking about um, what this means for young people, I mean, they get in, you know, this is why some of the, the younger people that I've interviewed, ha- you know, talk about they're not into hierarchy. You know, that the hierarchy thing that's a traditional baby boomer Gen X kind of workplace, it's not a thing for millennials. They no. don't like it. They don't look at somebody and go, you've been here for 50 years, you're more important than me. They don't, it doesn't mean anything. So it's an emotional connection they want. Yeah, not, absolutely. Not the politics. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting for, for people of our generation um, and above and below, <laughs> uh, that they that they take that into consideration, you know, when you because we, we, you know, I agree with you. I think if you haven't got a boss that you love, don't, you know, just like you quoted Steve Jobs, don't settle. There's other bosses out there. There's some fabulous ones out there. Absolutely. Who, who will really appreciate you <clears throat> for what you can offer and what yeah. you can bring to the table. So, so important. Okay, so great. Let's um, let's move on to question four. What do you see, Sally, as the critical skills that um, people need to build for the future of work? Well, Susan, I'm sure you'll know the answer to some of this because I think we talk about it frequently. But, I mean, the first thing on my list is people skills, empathy, emotional intelligence, how you show up, whatever you want to call it. And if you think about it, if we've got more and more artificial intelligence coming into the workplace, more and more automated processes, the thing that is going to keep you in a role and relevant and useful is your ability to interact with people. Because it's going to be a very, very long time before machines are anywhere near as good at showing empathy and understanding the complexities of human interaction. So anything you can do to work on your um, people skills, um, how you interact with others, how you empathize with others, how you collaborate with others, um, for me is, is really, really important. That, that's the first thing. I've got three for you again, by the way. Oh, great. I love three. three. <laughs> um, the second thing is um, Dan Pink wrote a brilliant book called Drive. And in his book, he talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose as three key motivators, three intrinsic motivators that we might have in our lives. The mastery one for me, I think, is really critical because for me, that's about keeping relevant. Now, uh, once upon a time, it would be quite good if we were a jack of all trades. 
if people could rely on us to be quite good at lots of things. But I think going forward, again, thinking about the digitization, the AI that we're seeing in workplaces, I think we've got to be really relevant by being expert. So whatever expert means to you, whether you work in accounting, whether you're a medic, whether you um, are a marketeer, whether you do social media, whether you're a graphic designer, be relevant by following trends in your field, making sure that you're investing in your skills and finding something that you do for a role that's so interesting to you that actually you don't mind sitting on a Saturday morning reading some LinkedIn articles about it. If you absolutely hate reading about what you do for a job, you're in the wrong job, to be perfectly honest. Mm. So, so keep really relevant for me is number two. Um, and the, third, the third thing is get comfortable with change. We are in a, such an increasingly complex world. It's called a, a VUCA world. I don't know if you've heard that acronym before. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And the reason that all of those four adjectives are used to describe the world we live in is really um, look around us. You know, we've already talked about digitization. We've talked about information overload. Um, and we are not in the same world that um, parents and grandparents were in where, you know, you go into a job and you're there for life. You yeah. go into one role and you pretty much progress up the ranks and you leave, you know, when you get to the top. We've got to get really comfortable with change because things are flexing all the time. Look at what we've just seen with COVID. Organizations like Louis Vuitton are all, all of a sudden making um, uh, designer masks, but even at one point were making hand sanitizer. Um, organizations such as the Formula One teams are trying to help make um, uh, respiratory systems for people. So, you know, everybody has to be ready to pivot in a really agile way and be able to flex really quickly depending on what's happening in a marketplace. Mm -hmm. So be okay with change because if you're not, you will get left behind. And this makes me think because we're both working in personality areas as well, is that some people are far more able and agile and responsive to change than others. Yep. So you need, again, this is a bit about building your self-awareness up to say what, how do I... How do I, understanding how I respond to change, so being able, if you struggle with it, so what are some of the things that I need to work on? Um, because if this is going to be the difference, then I need to get comfy with it. Do you know, it's such a good point. Um, you know, I, I'm somebody that actually really likes change. If my life was the same, I'd be, I'd find it as dull as ditch water. So, you know, I'm an expat. I'm constantly jumping countries to countries. I love moving house. I love um, doing different things in our work environment. Um, and there's two phrases that I kind of keep quite dear to me when thinking about, you know, I, as I say, I'm lucky. I know not everybody is. And some people really like a bit more consistency and, um, you know, the same sort of routines and schedules. So, yeah, so two phrases I kind of, I, I try and, you know, instill to other people. First one is that, that famous phrase, do one thing that every day that scares you. And, you know, and that's not jump out of a plane, but it could be going talking to somebody in workplace who you've maybe never spoken to before. Yeah. Um, and the second one is out of your comfort zone is where the magic happens because comfort zones are called that for a reason. They're where we can um, skive off a little bit. They're where we can be a little bit anonymous. 
the where the we got into a routine with something and it's just kind of easy but when things are easy we're not learning and we're not developing we're not keeping ourselves relevant and we're not always moving forward so um being out of our comfort zone from time to time so standing up volunteering to make the presentation when you absolutely hate public speaking or volunteering to go and do a three-month secondment somewhere when you know you've never lived away from home before they're the things that will be the things in your life that absolutely shape you into the person you become. Mm. And it, they're the things you learn so much from just through the experience of stepping outside what you know and love and trust and, you know, that, that comfort zone area. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes the comfort zone holds many <clears throat> of us back from opportunities or experiences that actually can shape us, as you say. Well, I mean, I must admit that, um, you know, you'd like to think that my story about uh, Dakar that day, maybe, you know, some people are listening and they go, ah, yeah, that's okay, I would have done that too. But maybe there's a few people out there who will be listening and thinking, goodness me, what a terrible situation. And um, there could have been some trainers that got straight back to the airport and got on a plane and went home thinking, I don't want anything to do with this. So... You know, we, we do have to um, step out and do things sometimes that, you know, we've got to see as adventures rather than things that uh, things that might upset us, shall yeah, we say. Opportunities, right? Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So what's your best advice? Because that kind of sounded like advice. So <laughs> have you got anything different to add for, your, for our fifth question, which is what's your best advice? Yeah, I've got three things again. <laughs> Yay. I'm, li- I'm getting, li- I'm liking these. I've got five questions and you've got three, three dot points under each, for each answer. I love it. Okay. Yay. Well, okay. Let's hit us. So two people in my life who've been really important to me, um, my dad and my mum actually, and I've got two lessons from them and then one that's definitely all about Sally Leonard. So the first one is um, an example that I'll give you from my dad. Um, and it's, it's almost a sad example in a way, but let me contextualize this by saying that my dad was from a different generation. So my dad was from a generation where um, he did, you know, it was in a time when you were almost expected to have one career, maybe with one organization. Um, it was also a generation where there was extreme loyalty even in the face sometimes of being treated very badly by the people that you work with. And my dad, um, his father died when he was very young, uh, when he was 14. And so my dad had to leave school and um, finished some of his, uh, he, he became a draftsman. But um, he fell in with a, a chap at uh, college, evening college, and they decided to go into business together. Now this other guy, um, his family was very wealthy my dad's family owned a corner shop and, um, and didn't have very much money at all. So you can imagine what the hierarchy in that company was straight from the outset. Mm. Um, and the, certainly all the capital investment was by the other guy. Now, over the years, they were um, moderately successful. But I also always think when I look back on um, my dad would get up at uh, 5.36 in the morning drive 40 miles to work and work an extremely long day with a very long journey and come home in the evenings sort of 7, 7.30 at night um, and, you know, very, very tired. 
Um, my dad's father also died from a heart condition and it turned out that my dad had the same. In fact, he had his first heart attack when he was in his uh, late 20s and he was very lucky to survive it. So all my life, all his life, sorry, um, my dad lived with a, a very serious heart condition and we're, we're very lucky that we managed to keep him until he was uh, 70 years old. Um, but when the day my dad retired... Uh, I, I remember speaking to him and saying, hey, dad, you know, I'm so proud of you. All the ups and downs you've had with that organization over the years. And there, there were for some fairly horrific stories of bullying and really bad treatment when he was poorly. He'd been in hospital for bypasses and his business partner treated him appallingly. Um, and he got to the end of his working life. And I said, you know, you must be so proud. Well done. And um, how does it feel? And he turned around to me and he said, Sally, I've just wasted the last 40 years of my life. So again, it is really sad. And, um, you know, I don't want anyone to think bad of my dad for that because actually it was done out of love for our family, desire to put food on our table um, and really strong support for us as as a family um, you know, my mum and dad weren't wealthy, but they spent a lot of their money on sending me to private school to give me an education. Because um, they turned around to me and said, we're never going to leave you a huge inheritance. So we'll spend the money on you now so you can make your own way in life. Mm. Um, and I'm so grateful for them for doing that. So again, for me, it kind of takes me back to that Steve Jobs example and that bit of advice about don't settle. Yes. And also don't get trapped. Don't get trapped into something where you think that you have to do it. You know, maybe your parents are thinking that that's the road you have to go down. Your friends are saying, oh, that's the coolest job. How could you possibly want to leave? You've got to work out what's right for you and just go after it and absolutely own it. But don't get trapped and don't settle. So that's the first thing. The second thing is an example, which is a much more happy example from my mum. So my mum is a dynamo. She's an absolute ball of energy. And I've learned so much from watching her operate over the years. So she was a very classic working mum. She always worked full time. Um, she, she had an amazing start in life. My granddad used to own a Ford franchise in our village. And my mum was one of the first ever women in the car trade. So you can imagine her in the sort of... Um, 60s and 70s with her, she was a beautiful blonde with her beehive hairdo at the car auctions, surrounded by men smoking cigars in trilby hats and long overcoats. Um, and she'd be there, you know, looking like a beautiful sort of Mary Quant style um, uh, persona. And um, over the years, uh, my, my grandfather died and they sold the car garage and my mum went to work at the doctor's surgery and she ended up going there as, as a medical secretary. And I remember her coming home one day and I probably was about 10 or 11 or 12, something like that at the time. And she was dressed really smartly in a suit and she didn't usually wear a suit to go to work. And I said, wow, mum, you look amazing. Where have you been? And she said, well, I've been for an interview to be the practice manager um, at a doctor's surgery. And I said, goodness, I said, but mum, you're a secretary at the moment. Do you know how to do all the things to be a practice manager? And she said, no, Sally. She said, I haven't got a clue, but I reckon I've got six months to learn before they find me out. (laughs) So I suppose the message I want to give you there is be brave, right? 
There's going to be times when you haven't got a clue what you're being asked to do. Smile, nod, say no problem, and then go and work out in the background how to do it. Now, if you talk to my team, they would be horrified the amount of times I've sat in client meetings and clients have said, so can Black Dog or Resilio handle that kind of brief? And I've very confidently smiled and said, of course we can. And I come out afterwards and the girls are saying to me, what were you talking about in that meeting? We've never done that in our lives. But I tell you what, it's such a fun adventure trying to scrabble together and get the expertise together and be brave and be bold because then when you do, again, amazing things happen. And I suppose then the final thing, Susan, is, you know, with all of what we've spoken about so far today, you've got to think about who you want to be. So especially for girls out there, but for, for the guys as well, there's so much pressure on us these days to be everything, to be perfect parents, be amazing career people. There's a scrabble to the top of the corporate ladder. And, you know, so whoever you want to be, do you want to be um, a career person? Do you want to be a stay-at-home parent? And there is no there is no difference in my mind between either of those things if you commit to doing it well. I've got some beautiful friends who are the most amazing role models for parenting I've, I've ever known. They've chosen um, with their families to be stay-at-home parents, be them male or female, and they do such an amazing job. They are um, enriched people, educated people. They have great conversations. They are superb parents. And, you know, I never look at them for one second and think they are any different or um, any lesser to somebody who goes out and has an amazing high-powered job. Mm. Think about your priorities. Think about what's important to you. Think about what you love. And instead of looking at the job title, think about the skills that you really want to use. Think about the things that you like doing. Are you a people person? Would it kill you all day if you were crunching data and you never got to speak to anybody? Are you somebody that actually likes the detail and you would like to be given a project and left alone in a small dark corner to do it? Are you somebody that wants to have international travel in their life? Are you somebody that would think that would be utterly horrific? Mm -hmm. So be really clear about the things that you find acceptable and the things that you love and is equally clear about the things that are not okay for you and the things that you really don't want to be doing And then go and fit that list into a job description that's available. Don't give a a rat's about the job title. Think about how you're going to be delivering it day to day because that's what's important far more than what's on your business card. Yeah. I think think that's all I've got. (laughs) Absolutely. And I love that last one. Why? Because I'm currently working um with some high school kids they're actually 16 17 um and they are in their second last year of school um before they have to go on next year and do their final kind of um finishing exams their high school certificate over here it's called um and these students aren't necessarily fitting into the typical school pathway. You know, they, they want it that, you know, the, the traditional type of schooling really isn't suiting them. So, you know, they, they, they tra- so we're working on a program to trans- give them the employability skills and some of these soft skills 
um, that we've been talking about today to build those skills so that they can go out and find, um, you know, find a job that they'll be happy in, a career that they'll be happy in. And they know some of the things they want to do. They want to get some hands-on apprenticeships like carpentry and electricians and builders and mechanics and, you know, chefing. And these are some of the things that they want to do um, and they know it. So it's actually more about, well, what do I need to do to make that happen even though, you know, I'm not, I might not get that HSC or that university admission score because guess what? They already know it's not for them. It's yeah. So that message about what do you want to be, commit to doing it well, go out and find your path. Absolutely. Really, you know, it links to, you know, so if anybody's, if anybody's um, you know, maybe we haven't got 16, 17-year-olds listening to the podcast, I get that. But if mum or dad are listening, if careers advisors are listening, Whoever's that advisor, if teachers or educators are listening, whoever are those people advising or looking after or mentoring these kinds of students that are in our um, high schools right now, it's okay that they don't go and get a university score if it's if traditional if a traditional school pathway is not for them. Um, you know, so many people I've met, even in working with industry coaches with those kids are talking about, well, I never finished school or I didn't, school just wasn't for me. So mm. I went and did this and, you know, maybe I became an electrician or a builder or whoever um, and I'm much more suited to this and I'm hands-on and I love my job and, you know, I love where I am and that sort of thing. So I think it's a really important message um, just because it's different and it's not and it might not be what we call traditional at the moment. Mm. Um it still find your find find your mojo, and I tell you what. Considering I can never find a plumber when I need one, they must be in really really big demand and probably make more money than the rest of us. <laughs> I Actually, I reckon they do. We don't. We we've got a shortage over here too. Yeah, um, hard to find. I heard a great uh, a great phrase one um, one day as well, Susan, which uh, ties in very nicely to what you just said there, which is whatever you want to be, be a good one. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so long as we find what we want to do and we love it and we do it well, everything, we, I mean, there'll be swings and roundabouts. There'll be, you know, there'll be, um, it'll be, it can be a roller coaster. We still have problems. But when we wake up in the morning and think, yep, yeah, this is, I'm still doing the right thing, it's a good thing. And yeah. so, you know, and that makes me go back to what you, what you were talking about in terms of find a boss that is a good boss. Mm. You don't have to stick with a boss who makes you feel lousy. Yeah, quite right. You've just got to keep looking. So um, I love it. I've had such a good time today. <laughs> Me too. Thank you. Really, yeah, I love, and I'm I'm very I'm very impressed with your structure. So it suits <laughs> my you know my my little bit of a need for structure. I've got you know I've got five questions and you've got three 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 three. I love it. I hope our <laughs> listeners have been. I hope they're taking notes seriously because I have <laughs> taken lots of notes. Um, so thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, you've given so many. I mean, I know that our last question is all about your best advice, but I feel like there's so much advice in there. Even when you were talking through your challenges and your memorable moments, there were so many things that people can take away. So thank you very much. No, well, um, I should be thanking you, Susan. I've really enjoyed it. And certainly when I got those five questions uh, through I found them really intriguing and I thought yes I'd love to answer those 
And, you know, just, um, just want to say, I guess, before I go to everybody listening, you know, wherever you are in life, you can always make a choice that's going to be different tomorrow. So, you know, good luck with everything that you want to do and, um, and keep walking the path because life is a very amazing journey. Yeah, I love that. Um, I'm going to, um, in our show notes, um, Sally, I'm going to put a link maybe to the Black Dog website. Thank you. That would be lovely. Okay, just so in case people are a little bit more intrigued or they're maybe listening from somewhere in the Asia Pacific um, so that they might be able to reach out and find out a little bit more about the kind of uh, learning and education that you do in those that areas. Be, that would be lovely. And uh, people are always very welcome to link up with me on LinkedIn as well. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, we might put your LinkedIn details in the show notes as well. That's okay. fabulous. So um, thanks, Sally. And uh, I really appreciate, I'm very grateful and really appreciative that you've shared all your insights today with us. Thank So listeners, how great was Sally Leonard from Black Dog Consultants and her fabulous storytelling. I just loved hearing about her mum and that picture of her mum in a car yard in the north of England with a beehive back in the 60s. You know, there were so many great stories um, that Sally uh, shared with us. So I'm really uh, grateful for Sally spending her time today and what it's made me think about and reflect on is this whole idea of this, um, her, her advice and what the possibilities are for our young people as they journey into the world of work. Um, you know, her, you, you know that, that be aware of politics and if the politics doesn't suit you, move on. Um, if you haven't got a boss you love or that loves you, find a different one. Um, you know, just be prepared to uh, be brave and step out of your comfort zone and uh, don't get trapped in a job or a career um, that when you look back and reflect on your life makes you regret that you perhaps wasted some of your time. Um, and I know that sounds kind of dramatic when you might be 16, 17, 18 or even 23, 24 going off into the workplace. Um, but let me tell you from, you know, kind of Gen X world, it, it goes quick. It goes really fast. Um, it looks like a long journey when you first start out on it and then you get kind of more than halfway through it and you think, wow, that went fast. So um, I'm really, I'm really thrilled to have able to, to have been able to interview Sally today, and um, bring us some global perspectives that we can maybe all learn from. So um, I'd like to invite you all, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, to um, go onto Apple Podcasts and give us a five star review and leave a leave a comment. We really appreciate your feedback. You can also stream um, our and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or you can go onto our website at daretocare.com.au forward slash podcast dot HTML um, and that's daretocare with a T-O, daretocare.com.au forward slash podcast dot HTML where you can um, stream our podcast, each, each episode there. Uh, and we also now have a Facebook page if you would like to give us some feedback or give us some um, continuous improvement ideas please reach out on Facebook where you can find us at Dare to Care Podcast um, and that's with a two, a number two so Dare number two pod, uh, Dare number two care 
podcast on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Um, I'm really focused on continuous improvement, so lovely feedback. So I'd like to thank you, listeners, for joining me today. I'm Susan Judd, and until our next episode, how are you going to dare to care? Thank you for listening to the Dare to Care podcast. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or find out more about HR culture and Dare to Care by going to hrculture.com.au. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 